0: From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on the Outlet, we bring you stories from across Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, the City of Athens has finally received American Rescue Plan funding, and WUB reporter Nick Veland talks to the Athens City officials about where the funds will be spent. And just off Carpenter Street in Athens, a local homeowner and a local artist collaborated to beautify the neighborhood with a brand new mural.
1: So it's nice to bring things that make people smile and adds art to our
0: community. It's a, it's a good gift to the community. These stories and more, right here on The Outlet. After a long period of waiting, the first part of the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA funds, have hit Athens. Now it's time to take the planning from the summer for where to actually spend the funds. Athens Mayor Steve Patterson said there are particular areas he wants it to hit first. Nick Veland has covered the story since the beginning of the summer and sat down to explain where exactly a million dollars of funding will be going within city limits.
2: It's been ever since the announcement of these funds in March, it's been a long process to get the funds in general. Now the city has got them, but kind of rewinding to the summer, They were supposed to get a lot more money and then they kind of got slashed with that. So the city planning on this has been very tight and it's just been really weird in a sense of now finally getting the money to finally like now appropriating the money to what they can possibly spend it on. So it's been an interesting process so far to say the least um, with covering these funds. But now they're here. So now the city can kind of, the first tranche of money has finally come in a couple weeks ago. And the second tranche will come in basically a year from the day they got the initial tranche. So the city is now looking to basically get spending on pretty much $1.25 million. And then $1.25 million will come a year from um, basically three weeks ago. So now it's just time to start spending and appropriating those funds.
0: Absolutely. So when it comes to spending, what is the city looking to spend on first?
2: Yeah, so basically... The city is starting to appropriate some funds through council. Everything kind of has to go through three readings of council to get basically approval um, of where they're going to appropriate. And talking to Mayor Steve Patterson, a couple days ago, he said that basically they can are wanting to start with recovery of lost funds. So it's basically something that COVID-19 has basically impacted um, the city. So the garbage fund was impacted, the water... And waste treatment, Um, that's definitely been something that's been hit. He said basically that's because there weren't as many students um, on campus to basically keep the water running. Um, That kind of goes along with the trash as well, where students aren't, you know, disposing of trash. So there's a lot less trash service that needs to be done, a lot less trash fines in general. So those are kind of some of the things that took a hit during COVID-19 that really the city is trying to get at first. Um, so it's just going to be, you know, attacking those, getting those back to where they need to be, and then kind of moving forward with, you know, a little bit of spending here and there.
0: Gotcha. So after this, um, what can you see being spent on past, the uh, just the initial spending?
2: Yeah. And Steve Patterson, one of his big plans is the armory. Right now it's kind of sitting as like a storage space at the end of Court Street. Um, and that building has a lot of history and he knows the history Behind that building, and he, he hates seeing it as a storage space right now. So one of his plans, kind of moving forward with these funds, just because in the past without you know getting this big chunk of money, there's now an opportunity to kind of revitalize that space into like a remote shared workspace. Is that's something that he really wants to do? Um, he really wants to kind of re-innovate the conduit lines um, that kind of go down Court Street and kind of refiber all the city buildings. So those are just kind of interesting projects that he's going to want to use the ARPA funds for to kind of revitalize some buildings and also some kind of broadband issues. And he also said that with the refibering, he can also add free Wi-Fi um, all down Court Street, which would be interesting, to say the least, um, for a city to give out free Wi-Fi. Um, But then also with that plan as well, um, he's able to see a possibility to kind of re-update the camera system. That's kind of all down Court Street and down Union Street. So a lot of interesting plans moving forward. Again, it's kind of in the slow process of starting to spend this money. It's got to go through council approval. So that's a long process, but it needs to happen. Um, So it's, it's just going to be an interesting kind of process moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us, Nick.
2: Of course. Glad to be here.
0: This past Saturday, the Ohio University Marching 110 performed at the annual homecoming football game, bringing in the magic alumni and students expect every time they see them. Curtis Fader has more on what goes into preparing for a Marching 110 halftime show.
3: The Marching 110 is referred to by its fans as the most exciting band in the land. Dazzling crowds with great music, dance breaks, and unique popular themes every Ohio football home game. The ability to put amazing shows together starts long before the band hits the field. Once the band members make the cut after auditions, they get right to business. Drumline section leader Josh Green went into detail about the first days of practicing with the 110. Once you show up during training week, you have the first couple days to kind of learn our marching style just because our style is so unique from Any other college band out there that it takes time to learn the right technique for for our kind of marching. So we usually break down things um, and do like some conditioning as well. The 110 employs athletic trainers for fitness and recovery, keeping the band healthy and ready to perform. Once the regular season hits, it's up to Dr. Richard Sook and the 235 students to create a new show for every home game, sometimes leaving them to learn new music, formations, and choreography in just one week. How do they pull it off? By working hard. Rain or shine, practicing for hours Monday through Friday, with additional rehearsals conducted until the staff is satisfied. In addition to the students practicing extra on their own time, Sophomore sousaphone player Dylan Westmeyer goes through his typical week schedule leading up to game day.
4: We have like sectionals every day. We have a uh, convo on Thursday night. So after our normal Thursday night practice, we have an extra practice from seven uh, or no, from nine until whenever the directors are happy with what we're doing. So mm-hmm. it can go, it can go late. Uh, ours haven't gone terribly late. I think the latest we've gone out is about midnight. Upperclassmen have said that they've gotten out around 3 a.m. some weeks.
3: All of the 110's work throughout the week comes to fruition with a very busy Saturday with the band meeting five hours before kickoff to prep and play pregame tunes before they take the field to perform the halftime show. Freshman tenor drums player Landon Scott described the emotions of performing on the big stage. It's a mix of like excitement, uh, anxiety, just like everything all at once because for me, one of the best parts of stepping onto the field is seeing, like, the reaction of the crowd and, like, the smiles that, um, that we put on their faces. Um, but I just want to make sure given, well, 110%. The Marching 110 will perform again Saturday, October 23rd, when Ohio football hosts the Kent State Golden Flashes. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Curtis Fader.
0: As many students know, you can catch the 110 at their weekly concert. Oh, right, it's also known as the OU football game. Keith Wilde has completed several murals throughout Athens, and his next features the narrative of a fish swimming through the underground, a window into the story. Will Price has more on his latest project on Carpenter Street. I can't stand it anymore. (laughs)
4: That's Carol Alt, and she's talking about the bland gray retaining wall that's on her property at 42 Carpenter Street. And her Keith Wild, a local artist who has completed several murals around the community, he's collaborated with Alt on his longest project yet. Alt says she sought him out after he finished a mural on State Street.
1: And after he did the Kindred Market one, there it is, kwild.com. It's like now I know how to get a hold of him. And so I contacted him to see if he might be interested in a project, and we came over and sat right where you and I are, right across the street, and started talking.
4: The mural catches the eye of many people who pass by. It's about 40 feet long, according to Wilde, and features a narrative for the viewer to follow. In it, a fish tries to go upstream, interacting with a number of different creatures along the way. The rich blues and electric greens pop out, along with the orange fish and the blue background that bleeds into purple as you go from left to right. But all the colors there now weren't always there. Wild says the first few days of the work were the hardest.
5: When you start, the first things you do probably make things look worse. So, I mean, you're excited about this project, you feel grateful to have the work, and the first things you do is maybe like clean the wall, and now it's just shredded paint. And that looks horrible. Alt has
4: seen almost every day of the process. She says that even weeks into the project, she still feels a sense of joy when she sees it.
1: it. It just makes me smile every time I see it. It's really exciting to see it come together.
4: This is the first time Wilde has made a mural with a narrative. Alt says the inspiration came from a famous musical.
1: And then I also sent him a link to uh, McGallaghan's Pool, which is a song from Susan Paul the musical. And that's when Keith came up with the idea of the Chinese folk story about the fish
5: trying to make it upstream.
4: For Wild, his favorite part of the project is that the significance of it is still developing to him.
5: I'm still in that process of discovering what is the significance of this story that we're telling. And I think that's probably my favorite part at this point.
4: And for Alt, she has one word that describes her favorite part.
5: And the word is detail.
4: She described a few of her favorite elements.
1: Just the little snails. That are When they're getting ready to put a coin in the slot of the gumball machine, and in the next panel, out pops this fish, and their faces are like, whoa, what just happened? So it's those details that I just think are incredible.
4: Alda's lived in Athens since the 1970s. She says sharing this work with the community is special for.
1: So it's kind of nice to bring things that make people smile and adds art to our community. It's a it's a good gift to the community.
4: Wild recalled seeing a mural in Athens for the first time and the impact that had on him.
5: And I remember when that mural went up, and I was stunned. I come from a very small town. And I was like, I live in a town with a mural, and I was so excited. Uh, I thought it was neat. I thought it said that we were adventurous people, people that did exciting things, and it felt like community pride in that regard.
4: And being a part of that now is what inspires him.
5: So now that I get to do it and make other people feel that, I think is really amazing. Um, And I hope all the murals, well done, create at the very least a sense of dignity and pride that we are doing interesting things here. Our town, despite being small, punches above its weight in creativity. And then each mural um, brings forth a message, an idea that hopefully we can also be proud of or aspire to and that I get to be part of that and part of that public conversation is a huge honor.
4: For The Outlet, I'm Will Price in Athens.
0: Nelsonville's week-long population recount has finally come to an end. WUBS Ben Schwartz has followed city officials to Columbus this week to capture the final step in the process, delivering the results to Ohio's capital.
6: That your municipality has a population of more than five thousand persons. Accordingly, I am sending you a proclamation of city status as required by Ohio Revised Code. Section
7: Nelsonville remains a city in the eyes of Ohio's state government. The city's auditor, Taylor Sappington, hand-delivered their new population numbers to Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose Tuesday morning, where the city's new population of 5,373 residents was confirmed by a proclamation from LaRose shortly after delivery. The ability to even begin counting their own population comes from an obscure 1953 state law, a law which Sappington believes helped the city count everyone.
6: Though the statute is vague
3: and probably... You know, from years ago, one of the things I like about how it was designed was it required city to kind of delegate authority to this committee who then brought in all these people from their separate corners. So it was kind of designed perfectly for a city uh, our size because it brought everybody in. Uh, it wasn't just one or two people doing everything. And we don't get a lot of opportunities to see everybody work together like that.
7: Effective since October of 1953, Chapter 7 of the Ohio Revised Code states cities may direct their auditor to, quote, make an enumeration, if facing a downgrade from city to village status. As a result, LaRose's office simply took a look at the count submitted by Sappington made sure everything was filed properly and issued a proclamation securing Nelsonville city status through at least the next census
6: it's a it's a ministerial process for us we don't have like a group of auditors that then go out and check their work that's not what the law lays out uh, they have stated under you know uh, again uh, under uh, under law that, that they have over 5,000 they've given us the or they are giving us the evidence of that as we speak um, and again there's not some sort of a uh, investigative effort that we undertake then to double check their math. Uh, again, when you state in an affidavit that this is factual, then you're you're uh, expected to be speaking the truth. And of course we believe that they are.
7: LaRose's ministerial process took just around 20 minutes to complete before returning with the proclamation. LaRose added he's happy for the city, noting it can now get back to work on issues facing the community. Reporting for WOUB News, I'm Ben Schwartz with the outlet.
0: Nelsonville will now remain a city under Ohio rules until at least 2030, when the next census is set to happen. Peace, reality, faith, and friendship can all be found on the wall of the Athens Parking Garage, and the new youth art exhibit is adding color to the uptown. Madison Moore tells us the exhibit opens a new door on how teenagers see the world.
8: The pictures on the side of the Athens parking garage, all shot by teenagers, are worth looking at. But sometimes they look at you. The display, part of the Athens Photo Project summer youth photo program, challenges people's perception of what it means to be young. The youth program facilitator is Josh Birnbaum.
9: We don't realize that their worlds are just as complex as ours. And they, have, they are going through a, a time of immense transition with immense challenges.
8: He says the teens were encouraged to capture photographs that would help them get in touch with themselves. Some of the artists made photographs that are simply looking at the outside world in a unique way.
9: Others are using photography to uh, perhaps as, as a metaphor. Maybe they're using it to express um, something they struggle with.
8: Birnbaum says he wanted to build a relationship with the young artists.
9: It's my job to create an environment where they'll, they feel free to express themselves in whatever way they see fit with photography and associated media.
8: At the helm of the photo exhibit is 15-year-old Cassandra Osborne. My
4: creative process was I had to have the right colors, I had to have the right mood, and like
8: all my pictures had a different perspective or a different like way that I thought about it. Lately, she's been thinking about the quick pace of her life. Sometimes reality isn't what it seems because everything
7: can change in one second. You you only need one thing to happen for everything to
8: change.
9: I think what she did really well is kind of interpret her reality and reflect on it in a really unique and and beautiful way.
8: Birnbaum says he can see the self-confidence and pride that came through the exhibit.
9: I think sometimes you know, what we see goes beyond what's on the surface. And that's, that's what I related to.
8: For The Outlet, I'm Madison Moore in Athens. Athens Photo Project is
10: continuing the youth program next summer. Hello everyone, my name is Julia Howell and I'm gonna be joining you here on The Outlet once a week to discuss and break down some complicated governmental processes and procedures that are currently happening in our national government that will affect us right here in southeast Ohio. Today I'm going to be talking about e-cigarettes, or what some people know as jewels or abuses. These were originally created with the intent for being an alternative for those who are addicted to nicotine or cigarettes. What ended up happening was these e-cigarettes did indeed help a population who were addicted to nicotine, but it also attracted a younger population like high schoolers and college kids to these still dangerous products. The FDA has worked for a long time to figure out how to regulate these products, and one way they have done that is through whether or not certain product companies are allowed to market these e-cigarettes. Within the past couple of days, the FDA gave R.J. Reynolds permission to sell three of its Views Vape products, but it denied permission for 10 of the company's flavored products. Many of the flavored products that were in the market have been denied by the FDA as not safe and have not been able to be marketed because it is proven that it attracts these younger generations who are more at risk, such as high schoolers and college kids. The three authorized products are all tobacco-flavored, and the FDA said that they were less likely to appeal to children and teens. The agency emphasized in a statement that the authorization does not mean the products are safe or FDA-approved. It simply means that these companies are allowed to market these products. It went on to say the approved vape products could benefit addicted adult smokers who switch to e-cigarettes, and this will either completely or significantly reduce cigarette consumption. Finally, the agency reiterated that all tobacco products are harmful and addictive and those who don't use them shouldn't start. The FDA is allowing marketing of these new tobacco products because, and I quote, they determined that study participants who used only the authorized products were exposed to fewer harmful and potentially harmful constituents from aerosols compared to users of combusted cigarettes. This is pretty complicated government language for saying that while the FDA realized there's major risks for young people getting addicted to nicotine, they also see the benefits of those who are currently addicted to tobacco transferring to e-cigarettes instead of smoking traditional cigarettes. So now when we see marketing for e-cigarette companies, we're going to see less enticing flavors such as fruit punch or mango, and we're going to be seeing mostly tobacco flavors. This is in hopes that people who are addicted to tobacco will be more interested in getting these products in hope of recovery from nicotine addiction and will be less enticing to audience such as college kids and high schoolers. That's it for Government Breakdown with me, Julia Howell. Have a great week.
0: That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Jintak Han mixes our audio, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at wub.org, and you can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore wub and on Instagram at wub underscore outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.